travel. Yes. It's been a long road to get from here to there. I know. You have news. I have news for the world. Oh, you have to show me this news. Uh, he has picked up something strange. The news world, pod world, is that I have acquired a small dog. Yes, you have. A baby angel named Ace. He's Ace? A seven-month-old corgi. Oh, yes. A queergy. And he is very beautiful. My boyfriend's mom knew someone who just couldn't keep their wonderful baby dog for various reasons that are not his fault and not really anyone's fault. And so we were the beneficiaries of that situation. And I've wanted a dog for a really long time since I came back to Providence, but it just has never felt like the right time. And even this time, there were still some concerns, but also it just felt so cosmic. The universe was like, hey, you know that kind of dog that you really love, that you had a beloved one of before? Here is one, spontaneously, without searching for it. Hold up the dog to the camera, please. No, I can't. He's too heavy. And also, he's running around being a cuckoo bird. <sighs> right, because your boobies are still healing. Yeah, I mean, I have picked him up a little bit, but he's not. he's very squirmy, wormy. Oh, maybe, oh, is going to come bring him for a, a cameo. <gasps> yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. Look Isn't at that. Oh, li oh he licks? <laughs> yeah, he's so sweet. He sleeps in the bed with us at night. He was just with me for like a couple meetings that I took in bed. When he's not chasing the cat, he's a very sweet baby. Oh, my God. And he and the cat, I feel like they're going to get along. For all of the chonk stands out there, don't worry. They're going to get along. The issue is he wants to play very rambunctiously because he's a puppy. And so he wants Chonk to play all kinds of puppy games with him. But Chonk wants to cautiously investigate. Chonk is not afraid, but he also does not trust the puppy. And so whenever the puppy tries to play, Chonk growls, which just excites the puppy more which pisses Chonk off more, and then it just becomes a feedback loop of escalation. You should bring Ace over. Skeeter will want to eat him, but play, and I think it might, it might <laughs> go Ace well. Ace will love that shit. Yeah, he's very sweet. He wants to be friends with every dog and every human that we've passed. But yes, I think they would get along smashingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it would be good for Skeeter. He would kind of fake bite. But yeah, Ace would be into that. He keeps like trying to go after the cat and then he looks back over his shoulder like, chase me, come get oh, me. I'm a oh. little scamp. Oh, yeah. Hello, baby boy. Hello. So I'm trying to train him to pay attention to us instead of the cat. I've been watching like a billion dog training YouTube videos. There are some that are really funny. Like some of them are feel like they're from a really different era of YouTube. And it's funny how distinct... And how how much the styles and expectations of like YouTube production quality have changed over the years. So that when I see someone use, for instance, like word art in their YouTube subtitles, I'm like, oh, this is showing its age. I kind of like that sincere mid-aughts YouTube Yeah, style. no, it's charming in its own way. It just is like a, a time capsule. You know what I like looking for for like landscaping stuff and woodsy stuff is state and federal sponsored videos. Oh, yeah. How to's. Right. Like this is the wildlife extension of the greater 
Wisconsin area, bringing you Invasive Fungus and You, our six-part training course. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's so good. It's got great jazzy music in the background. It's good. I don't like the frenetic style. Yeah. I get that. I appreciate all the flavors of the tube. Other than that, you know, I'm just busy. I'm just the busiest. Too busy. I've taken on too much work. Please, God, someone hire me full time. I submitted your resume. Great. I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. Listen, I've been through like I've been through the ringer. Yeah, so I'm just like busy, so busy. Some of that business is really exciting, like preparing for Shoma Allah's class that starts on the 30th. It is in the heavens, Jewish astrology in the Talmud and beyond. If you haven't registered, go register. I'll put a link in the description. And some of it is more of the work variety, which is not as exciting. But I have discovered that the harder I work, the harder Shabbat hits, for sure. Like the harder I work, Mm -hmm. when I truly have to set a firm boundary of not working and like that's what saves me from all my part-time jobs i feel it i feel the shabbat it hits differently you need one job more than ever i feel like that will happen oh yeah i think you're on the precipice of a normal five days a week kind of job god bless yeah i'm ready for the breakthrough i feel like i'm in the crucible listeners if you need a product managers and stuff like that you reach out to the pod or like a muse or a muse if you can pay if you can pay me do it yeah yeah which also speaking of paying us thank you all the patrons who make this show possible yeah yeah thank you making the show for you all is part of the busyness of my life that i love and look forward to so Thank you for enabling part of my busyness to be joyful. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, patrons. So, Michael. Yes. Hi, how are you? I'm good. There's a dog on my lap. It's almost my birthday. How old are you going to be? I'm going to be 35. Wow. You old bitch. I know. It's pretty old. It's three years older than me. It's not that old. It's not old, but it's like a little too old to be making a podcast, you know? <laughs> you <laughs> okay. Know? I don't know. Something about it. I feel like you have big older sibling energy, which I guess makes sense. You are an older sibling. No, I'm a younger sibling. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, then your brother has big younger sibling energy from the little I know of him. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Uh, You have big older sibling energy in that you act a lot older than you are. (laughs) Really? You like make a bigger deal of your oldness, I feel like, than it necessitates oh okay all right interesting you know you're like one of those twins who's like i'm the older one i was born two seconds before you okay yeah 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 sure which i say with love that's interesting i had i don't know how i'm perceived at all i don't think any of us really knows no definitely not i just stumble around like a bowl in a china shop yes yeah, and then when people say ouch I try not to do that again. I see no pattern. Apparently, I'm gay. I'm older than I seem. I You're a bitch. You're a lover. You're a child. You're a mother. I don't know what I am, but I'm doing fine. It's fall. You got poison ivy? I have poison ivy on my face, on my eyelids. Oh, no. Yes. It's bad. Can I tell you something? A fact you're going to really hate? Yes. I'm not allergic to poison ivy. Really? Yeah. I'm one of the blessed few. My God, can I like hire you to oh my god 
Oh my god. <laughs> Although I now I have a fear. I think it can like change later in life. Like it's not like a hundred percent guaranteed forever. But yeah, I like have unfortunately taken people on trails that I thought were safe that turned out to be infested with poison ivy that I never took the time to notice because I was immune. I would want to test you before sending you off. I was helping clear a friend's domicile of some mm -hmm. pretty gnarly poison ivy, and I did not protect myself as well as I thought I did. Now I'm kind of like a little swollen red. You're paying the price. I'm paying the price. But next time, I'm going to bring you along. Great. We started using the wood stove again. Because it's the time. Oh, yeah. I turned on the heat the other day very briefly, but... How was it? Was it hot? It, yeah, it was hot. It was It was sort of like, do I really need to turn this on? But then it's like our gas bill is like included in our rent. Like We don't pay our gas bill, so I kind of feel like I'm wasting it if I don't turn it on, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's healthy. <laughs> I know, right? Well, if the landlord didn't create such an adversarial relationship, we wouldn't have this problem. I wouldn't feel like I need to take them for every dollar they're worth. You should crank the heat and somehow convert that heat to like stored electrical charge that you then use in the right. summer. Yeah, that would be good. I'll get right on that. Yeah, I'm fine. I, I say we just jump into it. Great. Well, listeners, today we're doing something we haven't done in a really long time. We are responding to some listener mail. Yes, we are. First of all, let us just say, I know we haven't talked about listener mail in a long time, but we see it and we love it and we keep it in a special basket and we bring that basket out for moments like these. Which one should we do first? Do you have a preference? Well, I wasn't a big fan of the government one, so why don't we just do that one first? That is so interesting. Okay, so question one, government? I came here to ask about the Jewish Talmudic lessons about relating to the government. With anarchist leanings, I love Pirkei Avot 2-3 about not trusting the authorities. For many reasons, but also in light of the overturn of Roe v. Wade, what are lessons from the Talmud about maintaining a healthy distrust of government? Okay, so this question. Yeah. I'm not sure. Can you read that last sentence one more time? For many reasons, but also in light of the overturn of Roe v. Wade, what are the lessons from the Talmud about maintaining a healthy distrust of government? So, yeah, I wonder if the listener is talking about a healthy distrust of government in general or the government. Well, that I feel like is actually also really reflected in the text. Let's start off with the general stuff. So there's a couple greatest hits in Pirkei Avot. I'm just going to go bang, bang, bang through okay, this. Okay, do it. Pirkei Avot 3. Rabbi Hanina, the vice high priest, said, Pray for the welfare of the government, for were it not for the fear it inspires, every man would swallow his neighbor alive. So oh. that's kind of pro-government. Yeah, yeah. Pirkei Avot 110. Shemaiah says, Love work, hate greatness, and do not become familiar with the ruling authority. Okay. Pirkei Avot 3. Be careful about the government as they approach a man only when they need him. They seem like good friends in good times, but they don't stay for him in his time of trouble. And the government is, I don't know what the Aramaic word there is, but that's referring to the Romans, right? To the outside. Well, yes, I think so for many reasons, which we'll get into as we go on. First off, we started off with something contrary to what our listener asked for, which was Rabbi Hanina saying, actually... Pray for the government because we need government because basically we're all cynical, selfish bitches that will kill each other if we don't have a boss to tell us not to. Uh, uh, okay. 
All right, interesting. What? What? I think you're ah, just just say it, you're, Michael. You're, this you're, podcast you're, is a place for us to have these discussions. You're a dirty anarchist. You're a dirty, dirty anarchist. <laughs> well, that's true. I don't want to presume things of our beautiful... Perfect listener. Yeah, who asked a question. But I want to know how, how the word government is being defined here in all these different instances. Because surely we're all in agreement on people coming together and adjudicating problems through some sort of system that we can agree on in a democratic fashion, right? Michael Sokolovsky, anytime you start a sentence with surely automatically disqualify. <laughs> okay, well, if you want to apply it to this particular case, I mean, what are you saying? Are you just like a dirty old libertarian, you know? <laughs> no, I'm not. I mean, I am my position of pure anarchism has definitely been complicated over the years. However, I think the main point I disagree with about this piece of Rabbi Hanina's is like I don't think people, I think most people don't want to murder each other. I think people are, and this might be wild to say, but I think people are basically good. Yeah, I think people are basically good, but people also want to, like, know that their neighbor isn't going to put a septic tank, isn't going to, like, dump their, like, you know. Okay, but Rebbe Hanina says, were it not for the fear it inspires. I don't think Rebbe Hanina is thinking about, like, septic zoning laws in this case i mean if we really want to go back to the the ur text of this conversation our listener question asked for teachings about healthy distrust of the government which i think can be a force that exists and must exist in order to have good government whatever that means sure 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 okay all right all right i think government has to take the self-crit you know. Okay, government can take the self-crit. I also, I do really like this one. Shemaya says, love work, hate greatness, and do not become familiar with the authority. Part of the reason why I like it is just because I love the humble vibe of being like, if something is about getting great, like getting acclaim, like, don't fuck with that. Yeah, yeah, Which cool. I think is, is solid advice, whether it's about civil matters or, or anything else. More government stuff. So, here is uh, probably the main government text I brought, which is from Avodazara 2 and also from a wonderful show Mala class called Reading the Nations to Filth. Amar lehim hakadosh baruchu, b'may rasaktim, omrim lefanau, ribono shel orolam, harbei shvakim takninu, harbei merchatsot rasinu, harbei kesef wazahav ravinu, uchulam lo rasinu elabishvil Yisrael kadei so the Roman Empire has come before the Holy One, blessed be they. And the Holy One, blessed be they, said to them, what did you occupy yourselves with? What have you been doing with your life, Roman Empire? And they said, Master of the Universe, we have established many marketplaces. We have built many bathhouses. And we have increased much silver and gold. And we did this all only for the sake of the Jewish people so that they could engage in Torah study. So, the Holy One Blessed Be, they said, Fools of the world! Everything that you did, you did for yourself. You established marketplaces to place prostitutes in them. You built bathhouses for your own enjoyment. 
And as for the silver and gold you claim to have increased, it is mine. As it is stated, mine is the silver and mine is the gold, said the Lord of hosts. Hmm. Your thoughts? I mean, it's a very silly story. It is a very silly story. I think there's nuggets of interesting stuff hidden in it in the book As a Driven Life, which explores the life of Alicia Benabuya, the famous Acher, the heretic of the Talmud beloved patron saint of this show. A big theme that that explores is Alicia Benabuya is able to study all kinds of philosophy and mathematics and all kinds of important stuff because of the climate of intellectual freedom and global trade created by the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And ultimately, the conflict of his life is created when he's confronted with the fact that that climate of intellectual freedom is paid for in blood, basically, because of, you know, empires doing empire stuff. Who is saying this? Is this just one of the theories? No, this is a, like pretty explicitly it's pretty explicitly referenced in the book that he basically like becomes attracted to secular wisdom and is sort of like, this is awesome. Everyone should be pro Roman Empire. And as the book goes on, he sees how the Roman Empire acts in political matters and is sort of like oh shit i thought this was just good but it turns out that free speech and intellectual freedom is only allowed in a controlled way because that's how empires run okay yes 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 so that i feel like is sort of that theme is being referenced in the first half of this story the romans are like we did all this stuff for good reasons basically to enable the studying of torah and you know even though in this case it's like in a really narrow allegorical sense i still think it holds true across time and space that like it's good to remember that many of the goods and freedoms which come from existing within an empire are generated for selfish if not outright bad motivations Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And zooming in a little bit more, you know, oftentimes people in power will reward themselves and claim that they're, you know, somehow benefiting the citizens of the state. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, 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 yeah. There's definitely suspicion of government officials and government and the veneer. Right. And... The second half of the story, I feel like, I mean, the second half talks about the motivations of the government, but specifically the part where Hashem is basically like, making a bunch of money doesn't count because I already own all the money. So I don't care how much money was generated by your empire. Also feels very, I don't know, like a good, I don't think, I probably most people who listen to this show don't have trouble keeping this in mind, but it's nice that the Talmud is sort of, at least in this instance, taking a very, um, I don't know, almost transcendentalist approach to just like basically like material wealth is like only relevant insofar as it furthers connection to the divine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a indirect way of saying that the purpose of a government is not like a business. It's not a group of people trying to enrich themselves. Right. The purpose of government must be something else. That's the implication here. Right. And I think it's a little bit drashy-drashy, but I think it's also fair to say that for a government to truly be invested in enabling the study of Torah, it would also have to be like, you know, total luxury space commune, because for true, complete Torah study to be completely supported and available to all like everyone would need to be fed everyone would need to be healthy 
Right, you know, right, these right. are things that are referenced elsewhere in the Talmud. There's a famous saying from Pirkei Avot, Ein Kemach, Ein Torah, like where there is no flour, there is no Torah. Basically, if you don't have bread, there's no Torah. So I think there is a sense in which a government that was truly compatible with Torah would have to be like socialist at the minimum. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Did you bring anything for this question or did you just make a fart noise? I just made a fart noise for this question because I was just, I wasn't sure where the listener was going with it. I see the word anarchism and I'm, and I, and, and you're I, triggered I'm, I'm, so much for the tolerant left. It's just it doesn't doesn't work for me, guys. The, the whole anarchist thing. Well, lucky for you, the government of this podcast allows you to have that kind of opinion. Well, yeah, whatever. You can continue to play your <laughs> shell game with words and your your little word trickery. How dare you accuse me of playing a shell game with words? You love to do that. I don't play shell games with words, Michael. You're in denial. <laughs> Whatever. You want to live within a society without a government, quote unquote. Oh, my God. I already admitted my viewpoint is evolving, okay? All right. All right. Uh, one thing I did think about, this question about not trusting the government, it reminded me of the, the question we had about how Jews should relate to enforcers of state violence. I feel like we had an episode a while back about that, you know, how mm -hmm. we relate to cops. And I think the takeaway was you kind of go with the flow as much as you need to with them and otherwise mm -hmm. distance yourself. Oh, yeah. It's all coming back to me now. I wonder how much of this government commentary in Pirkei Avot and in the Talmud in general is about the outside government. I wonder how much the rabbis, would they group the Sanhedrin, you know, in the same right, group right. as the government? I agree. I think there is very much a divide going on because I feel like the rabbis still want to be rabbis, you know, like they still want to be making the Jewish laws. And I think that there is like this really strong divide. I mean, certainly there are people like Rabbi Hanina who are sort of more pro outside government within the community of the rabbis, but definitely it seems like this has a lot more to do with the empire that's governing them than with like the concept of government in general. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. wonder if they even would have thought of those two things, the Sanhedrin and the Roman Empire in the same terms, you know. I feel like this is another case like the word religion where yeah, we yeah, have an yeah. idea of what things fit in the box of the word religion. And I wonder what to them fit in the box of the word government. Yeah. And I wonder how this relates to the whole no-hide law that everyone mm -hmm. needs to create courts, you know. Right. There needs to be a formal adjudication process for disputes between people. That seems mm -hmm. to be a maybe an implied commandment, probably I think an implied commandment for mm -hmm. non-Jews. And right. presumably Jews are doing that because they're Jews and they have the Torah and the Torah is, you know, the root, the base right. from which all adjudication comes from. So the rabbis don't seem to be against a form of adjudication. Right. I mean, I wonder if some rabbis just think of themselves as administrators, you know, it's like we're all in the divine covenant. I'm just here trying to, like, facilitate that for people. I kind of. Yeah, that sounds like if I were a rabbi like me. Like you. If I were a rabbi, I would conceive of myself as someone who is trying to help others live a righteous, moral, good, whatever life, you know, assist them. And I am just like the administrator. I'm like the guidance counselor. Mm -hmm. Which I, I also think is like ultimately 
the task of the government is to make a purposeful life possible through maximal support. Yeah, wow, that doesn't sound very... Listen, Michael, if you keep picking fights, you're going to keep getting fights. I know, I know. Then you're just going to become an entrenched, blue-haired anarchist, and I don't want (laughs) that. The more you push me, the more I run away. I feel like, did when I first met you, you did have blue hair. Maybe? Yeah, I had blue hair and then I had pink hair. Yes, that's right, that's right. Yeah, so, you know, there's uh, lots of questions, I think, about what is meant by government. Mm-hmm. Yes. When the rabbis say it, when the listeners there's say it. There's some clear it. lessons in there. Yeah, there's lots of lessons. Okay, so we address the next question? Yes, yes, yes. Let's address the next question. Okay, next question. Best takedowns. I misheard something Chava said in a previous episode and thought the episode was going to be about Talmudic swear words. Sadly, it wasn't. So I thought I'd ask for the best Talmudic swears, but that's basically just a list of Hebrew-Aramaic naughty words. Not too fun. Rather, I'd love to hear a story or two about the best Talmudic takedown, like the most dramatic, pettiest, argument-ending lines you've come across. Might be a fun episode? IDK. Well, you be the judge. Michael, you're, you gotta leave this one off. All right. Well, there's a lot of information out there on Talmudic insults that I was able to find. Lots of information on argument styles. Tons of ad hominem, just like, you're a fool, your brains are mush. There's tons of that stuff, just like one-offs. Mm-hmm. And apparently there's a big difference between scholars from Israel and scholars from Babylon. So like in the mm-hmm. Jerusalem Talmud, they're nicer to each other. In the Babylon Talmud, they're meaner. And they actually oh. reference that. There's evidence that they're aware of each other's differences. They make fun of each other. And so one of the best insults that I was able to find that I think is really cool is the following. De Amar Ravi Zera. Bavla e tafsha e d'achli lachma be lachma. Rabbi Zera said the Babylonians are fools, they're idiots, because they eat bread with their bread. <laughs> and apparently this is referring to the fact that Babylonians, they would eat bread, but also they'd eat something called daisa, which is kind of like grits, so it's like a grain-based food. Uh-huh. So they're basically like saying, oh, those people are idiots. They're eating like bread with their pizza right. or, you know, or something like that. They eat like two that. starches. They eat two starches. Like buffoons. I thought that was a great little insult sent over to Babylon. Like, mm-hmm. fuck them. They're idiots. They eat bread with their bread. That's one of the good ones I found. Okay, let me bring out some. Okay. So Rabbi Zera asked Rabbi Abahu, if the likeness of a donkey had descended from heaven... What would the halacha be, a.k.a. would it be permitted? So the question here, they're talking about what if God sends down meat like mm-hmm. yep, God yep, sometimes yep. does in the Torah. And what if that meat looked like a donkey, which would normally not be kosher? So basically, if God created a donkey and sent it to us, could we eat it? Uh, yep. Great question, I think. And Rabbi Avahu said to him, foolish ostrich. Yes, yes. The sages have already said that a non-kosher item does not descend from heaven. Therefore, it must be kosher. So uh, this is your sign to integrate foolish ostrich into your vocabulary. And also to know that if a donkey descends from heaven, you are allowed to eat it halachically speaking. I I read this one. I thought it was very cute. I have a little background info for you. Okay, great, please. Rabbi Abahu is calling his student, Rabbi Zera, the foolish 
ostrich. Rabbi Zara, I think that's the same rabbi who said the Babylonians eat bread yeah, with their bread. Exactly. He must have learned to be rude to his compatriots from his teacher. Well, apparently Rabbi Zara was very ascetic, like really strict. He didn't want to like mm-hmm. laugh. He was very, you know, tightly wound mm-hmm. in that way. And so Rabbi Abahu liked to poke fun at him a little bit and wanted to loosen him up. So it's a very playful kind of insult. Oh, that's cute. Oh, you little foolish bird. And apparently Rabbi Zera's student would try really hard to make Rabbi Zera laugh. That is so cute. So basically everyone thought this guy had a stick on his butt and yeah. was doing their best to help him. Yeah, everyone was like, oh. He really was a foolish ostrich. He was a little foolish ostrich. It's, you know, it's kind of a nice, nice little insult. A cute oh little my insult. gosh, I just remembered some emu drama. What? Speaking of, have you seen, this is so distracting from our theme, but you can put it in the pod. Listeners, you may have seen the TikToks where this person has a an emu that wants to attack their camera whenever they're making videos. And that's like the theme of their TikTok account is like just this emu misbehaving. Is this the Florida emu? I don't finds know. Fame on, it's a new trope, the Florida emu. <laughs> Everybody knows about the Florida emu. Anyway, this person's emu. So they have a bird farm and then their farm had a bird flu breakout and a bunch of their birds passed away. But this famous emu survived and they posted a bunch of videos of themselves cuddling this emu. But then a bunch of public health experts were like, this is really irresponsible. You need to put that emu down because this is exactly how flus jump from birds to humans. And it's really irresponsible of you to be cuddling that emu. And now it's like a raging debate about this celebrity emu. See, this is the perfect example of why we need a, f- a form of Let adjudication. Go. Look, look, we have a good person on one hand, morally good, cuddling an emu. Another good person. <laughs> morally good. <laughs> Objectively morally good morally, cuddling yeah, an emu. What, what am I saying? Morally, what does that even mean? We have two sides that are both trying to be halakhically, you know, in line with, you know, they're, they're, they're trying, they're trying. And yet, see, not all problems come from oppression by the state, people. You are a foolish ostrich. I'm just Michael. saying. Foolish ostrich. Tricks are for kids. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, what side, of the, what side are you on? I'm on side put down the emu. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm on side. Put down the bird flu is not a joke, and I think yeah, as someone who has raised many livestock, that's my take. Anyway, that's a super weird digression for the middle of this episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My big takedown is not actually like it's not super funny, but it is like I think probably one of the most important arguments in Talmud, which is between Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish. It's their big falling out. Oh yes. So basically, on Bava Metzia 84a. Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish are debating when is a sword complete. So items are only susceptible to impurity once they're complete. And they're arguing about what point is a sword complete and therefore susceptible to impurity. And Reish Lakish says it's from whenever you put them in water. And Rabbi Yochanan says it's from whenever they're fired in the furnace. And they argue and argue and argue. And then eventually Rabbi Yochanan says a bandit would know his banditry. Because Reish Lakish used to be a bandit. So, first of all, things that are important about this takedown, it's incredibly petty. 
And it's not even a takedown of the argument. Like he's really admitting that he's wrong. Yes. With this yes. takedown. He's like, I don't have anything substantial to refute you with, but you're a bitch. Yeah, that's exactly what that is. And it causes a huge falling out between them because Rach Lockies used to be a bandit. And he's very ashamed about that because he's a Baltashuva. He's someone who became religious later in life. He's like, why did I even bother learning Torah? Because they called me a bandit king when I was out being a bandit king. And now you're still calling me a bandit king. So I guess I'll just never escape my past. And basically, he goes into such a spiral about this that he dies and leaves Rabbi Yochanan alone. Rabbi Yochanan also goes mad with grief. And that's the end. It's a real fucking Romeo and Juliet situation. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, pretty, that's um, pretty bad. This story has made me cry on multiple occasions. Really? Yes, I was teaching, I taught a wonderful class along with Binya, friend of the show, and Sarit Cantor, a friend of mine, hasn't been on the show yet, called How to Be a Chavruta, exploring this whole tale. And the part that made me cry is when Rabbi Yochanan is going mad with grief from the loss of Rachel Akish, the rabbis send him a new Chavruta, and the new Chavruta is sort of a yes man. He just says yes to everything that mm. Rabbi Yochanan says. And Rabbi Yochanan says, don't I know that what I say is good? Are you comparable with Reish Lakish? In my discussions with him, when I would say something, he would raise 24 difficulties against me. And I would answer him with 24 answers and the halacha would become broadened and clarified. And yet you say to me that there's a ruling that supports my opinion. I already know that what I say is good. So the part that makes me cry is that when Reish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan met, the first thing Reish Lakish says to Rabbi Yochanan is, your beauty is for women. And the word for beauty there is Shapire. And in this sentence, when Rabbi Yochanan says, don't I know what I say is good, the word for good he uses also is the same root, Shapir. Mm -hmm. And I guess what makes me cry is I just feel like he's saying, someone came into my life who I loved, who revealed my own beauty to me. And made me see the worth in myself. And now they're gone. And you can't replace that. And I'm now realizing that I fucked up and will be alone. <sighs> okay. It won't make me cry now because I've already cried twice about it. But perhaps you listener are crying at home. <laughs> and if you are, you're in good company because it's made me cry several times. Because it just feels so real and so true that there are people in your life who make you see your beauty. And sometimes you don't get a chance to make it better with them. Anyway, took this fun episode in a really weird and no, sad direction. It's fine, it's fine. And it's two takedowns, really, because he's taking down his new Chevruta. Yeah. And he was taking down Rach Lockie. So he's really just lashing out. And he's taking out and taking down himself, you know? And really, that just, that's why it had to be my answer to this question. Even though it's not very, like, quippy and fun, it's like, to me, those are the two most important takedowns in the whole of Talmud. So I stand by it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there are more takedowns. There's fun stuff, but... um I feel like that's a natural, natural closer. Uh, I will tell you just one briefly, though. I'll leave you on a crassy, crassy hunt. Great, great. There is one takedown that occurs on Bhavabhatra 9b. Okay. I'll just read you. This is, uh, I'm reading from Talmudic Arguments and the Use of Insults. Great, great. It's a paper written by a professor of Hershey Friedman, who's a professor of business, apparently. 
Very interesting. Very weird. I'll just read you this paragraph. So Rabbi Ahadvoy and Rabbi Shesheth were like having a Talmudic dispute. And Rabbi Shesheth felt that he was being mocked. Mm -hmm. And as punishment, Ahadvoy lost the ability to speak and forgot all of his learning. So I guess God sort of agreed with Shesheth. Mm -hmm. And as a result, he was punished. So Shesheth's mother wept and pleaded that her son intercede on this Rabbi Ahadvoy's behalf. He ignored her pleas. She then said to Rabbi Shesheth, behold, these breasts of mine from which you nursed from as a child. This kind of shocked Rabbi Shesheth, and he prayed for Rabbi Ahadvoy, and he was healed. So... Titty power. Yeah, his mom showed him her titties. Big titty rabbis rise up. Yep, as kind of a Trump move to be like, do what I ask for, you suckled. Fucking listen to me. So, another interesting takedown. Drink the milk, you gotta pay the bill. Yep, 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 yep. Wow. Well, that, honestly... Good for her. Did you know about that one? No, I've never heard that okay. one before. Girl boss. Yeah. Super cool. Wow. Well, what a bizarre romp this has yep, been. Yep, yep, yep. What a strange and adventurous episode, as it always is. Once again, thank you all for your support. Check out the class link I'll put in the description. We will continue to think of silly things to say to you and dig up silly things from the past to remind you of. Yeah. Without further ado, Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. 